Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Wiskayagon, on Treaty 6 territory in Métis Region 4. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, then we find out the answers together. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, and today's guest actually created that network, but today we're just two chums on a field trip together, hoping to learn when Edmonton started turning its dumps into parks. Variations of this question were asked by a few different folks, so it seems like a lot of us are morbidly curious about this. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. You are like a prepared person. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very chilly. Yes. Also. Yeah. It's a cold day. Yeah. But I feel like this is the sort of day that Edmontonians, like, they complain about a lot, but they they kind of like the cred. Yeah, yeah. Know, of, like, making it through and, and bragging. <laughs> oh, what a cute little house. Oh, the door opened. <laughs> Hi, Shirley. Come on in. Where did you park? Uh, just down there. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for taking the time to come out. Oh, my this goodness. Is... It's, like, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be the word I would use. <laughs> oh, truly. Yeah, like... I forgot what question I had asked, uh, let's find out, and when Chris shared it back with me, I, I looked at it and said, oh, what a smart question, I really wanted to the answer, so. <laughs> We're doing a whole season about parks on Let's Find Out. Um, right now, we had a live show in September. Um, we had a couple live speakers to get people's idea juices flowing. Um, and then we played some little games and then we made a story garden at the back of the room, which is an idea I stole wholesale from Taproot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You can have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, where people could put up questions or inspired by things they'd already been thinking about, parks and natural areas in Edmonton and history or um, things that they thought of that, um, that night. Uh, and... Um, one of my local heroes, Karen Unland, was there uh, and asked a question about parks and natural areas in Edmonton that I think is is great because um, uh, it gets at a layer of parks that lots of people don't think about um, and I think really um, adds to the rich flavor of a lot of Edmonton parks. Uh, Karen, would you mind introducing yourself and uh, your question? Sure. Uh... I'm Karen Unland. I'm co-founder of Taproot Edmonton, which is a local media outlet that pays attention to Edmonton. We like to have a lot of curiosity about the place that we live and and uh, share the fruits of that curiosity with people. And so I'm always drawn to, to things like Let's Find Out because it's animated by similar desires, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely to come to the live show and get kind of back into it. It was like one of my first post-pandemic gatherings, actually, because mm. I've been uh, scared of groups. And mm. <laughs> there was something on the table that you set out and something about the, uh, the, the just the collected wisdom in the room that made me wonder, when did we stop? dumping garbage in River Valley spaces and start turning them into parks hmm. and then and how did we actually do that and I love that most people maybe they would have heard of like a golf course that um, used to be a dump but 
the, the fact that this is something like a repeating pattern in Edmonton that yeah. we've had these spaces is fascinating. Well, and I think part of what was also in my head when I was asking that question is uh, a few summers ago, I went on the, the float down the river thing that MCOR uh, does, and uh, uh, and part of the tour was, oh yeah, that was a dump, and that was a dump. You can still see some stuff dumped there, and I thought, okay, this was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and is there anything like that would be extra meaningful to you to learn or find out today? Uh, I don't have a personal connection to dumps. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I okay. I do have a personal connection to dumps because <laughs> I have uh, my aunt Ruby's uh, second or third husband, uh, who I knew as Uncle Ron, was a guy who went to dumps to get stuff, like to pick out the good stuff and and bring home. And I had a dolly who I loved, who <laughs> when I was a kid, who uh, started out in the Edson dump and, uh, and, and was just like, just had a little bit of like ink or something on her, but otherwise she was fine. So <laughs> <laughs> that's my weird memory. So found treasures. Yes. Um, in there. Yes. Yeah. yeah scavengers of all kinds <laughs> um well because it is uh an extremely hilariously cold day um i've foregone the usual multiple field trips for an episode yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're um we're at the home of another local hero of mine um and one of my predecessors uh, as historian laureate so uh shirley Lowe. And, and the reason i wanted to come to shirley um is because i i I know that she's done some exciting writing about um, places like Beverly and Edmonton and has helped do public history to get to help people see sides like this of Edmonton. Um, and also, we haven't had a chance to have Shirley on the show before, so... Oh, my. Yeah. Um, this is exciting <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, so, Shirley, would you mind introducing yourself? Oh, well, I'm, I'm Shirley Lowe, and I was Edmonton's second historian laureate. I was, um, and I'm right now just um, doing some part-time work with um, with heritage research. So, uh, thank you for coming to see me. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, so, uh, maybe it's a good place to start just to talk about um, some of the sites that people might not have known were dumps in the Edmonton River Valley. If you want to start there. Well, I, I think maybe we um, we should just do some context as well. Uh, the um, the River Valley itself uh, was 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 once we moved in uh, was never pristine. Uh, it had um, we did a lot of coal mining. We had industry in the in the area, so a lot of um, a lot of what we would consider uh, garbage was residual from that as well. And um, so I think today what we are going to talk about were three pretty significant dumps because, as you said, people just threw things over the edge of river banks and, and into ravines, hoping never to see them again. Um, the river as well. I mean, people have pulled, you know, they, they pulled cars and all kinds of big things out of rivers. People just got rid of their garbage for a couple of reasons. One, in the early days, there, there wasn't any other place to put them, you know, especially the big stuff. 
And uh, if you couldn't burn it or eat it or feed it to an animal, it had to go somewhere. So off it went, off the edge, because who would live there, right? And um, and then um, and then after that, um, there was um, the uh, uh, the in industrial cleanup. Uh, took quite a while, actually, as uh, Dr. Cobb mentions in, in his writings. Russell Cobb. Russell Cobb, right. Mm -hmm. It mentions in his writings is uh, we went to the incinerator age where we tried to burn all our garbage. Mm -hmm. And finally, we went to official dumps. And, um, uh, and the three we're going to talk about today were official dumps. So probably the first one uh, that um, that would make a big difference uh, to the city was was what we call Louise McKinney Park now, which of course was not a park at that time. And if you could erase the vision of a road that goes through it, through Grierson Hill, and look at that hill as something that goes all the way down to Rossdale, it was it was um, a mining site. Uh, the Humberstone Mine, which incidentally will come up again in another segment, was um, was at the bottom of that. One of the biggest contributors to the garbage there was the motorboat company, which was at the bottom of the hill. And because the um, the settlement started east of 101st Street, um, in modern terms, that was uh, the western boundary of the uh, uh, Hudson's Bay Reserve. So there were a lot of buildings and a lot of industry on the top of, of the bank there. 95th Street, 96th Street, 97th was basically the center of, of that settlement. And, um, and those commercial and industrial businesses uh, didn't have any other place to put it. So basically they just lugged it down and pitched it over the edge. Um, as a result of um, the 1899 flood, the Humberstone mine was flooded out and they moved to and basically uh, started Beverly. This is a pretty <laughs> devastating flood. It, it was, also it was, it was a huge flood and it was it compromised um, the um, the hoardings on the on the low level bridge at that time. Uh, so they lifted it up a bit, which saved it from the 1915 devastating flood. And um, in any case, that's important because it compromised the hill. And mm. uh, in 1901, there was a major landslide. Oh. So that hill just slid right down. And in fact, um, the, the city saw the garbage infill as a stabilizer. <laughs> so there was, uh, and that that went on in um, in the 1930s, and I think we, we have photos of, of people who lived in there during the Depression. These were mostly men who didn't want to go to work camps because that's where they were forced to go if they were indigenous, you know, if they couldn't find a job, if, if they couldn't support themselves. There was no social contract. And um, so what they would do is they would build themselves a shack out of whatever material was thrown over the edge, so paper, boards, anything that they could find, and they, and they set up housekeeping. And basically what they did was they scavenged what they could find, they rebuilt it and resold it. And, uh, but there was a problem. Uh, there was, uh, because of, of some of the garbage that went over the edge, there was, uh, there was a, a typhoid outbreak. 
And, um, and so the Department of Health, which was incidentally at that time was municipal, would, um, they tried on numerous occasions to close it all down. Mm -hmm. And they finally did in 1938. They basically bulldozed the place, pushed people out, said, you're not coming back. This is dangerous. And so it was left as sort of a pile of garbage for a while until uh, post-war because the city, of course, didn't have any money. And, um, and although we had an economic boom during the war because uh, the American military was here with 10,000 of their support staff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it was huge. I mean, we, you know, people made money hand over fist, but they didn't spend it on the hill. <laughs> and, um, and so in 1950, they decided that what they needed was a road through there. The problem was, of course, is the road wouldn't stay there if they <laughs> built it. So they brought in 55,000 cubic meters of clay to stabilize that hill. And it took from 1950 to 1963 to build the Grierson Hill Road. Whoa. Whoa, is right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you wonder why you would build anything on that hill. I'm just throwing that out. <laughs> and, like a gigantic conference center on yeah. a slope. Yes, imagine. <laughs> and it was, uh, anyway, uh, for, a very, for quite a long time after 63, it was... It was a hill. They, in the 60s, uh, the Chinese community used it as a market garden. Okay. So, which is why there's a Chinese garden in there now. It's it's to pay homage to the to the the, the Chinese gardeners who always worked on that hill, mm -hmm. and um, and so finally, uh, and and I think we all remember that they were uh, they had dinosaurs and all kinds of other presentations. It basically was a giant parking lot for a very long time, and um, and then in the early 2000s uh, they uh, decided that it would be a park and, and the um, Louise McKinney was actually the last of the five um, women uh, to be celebrated in a park. The famous five. The famous five, that's right. And she, um, so Louise McKinney Park opened in 2008 and um, with all of the amenities that are in there now, it's, it's uh, I don't think anybody who was there in the 30s would have ever imagined <laughs> that the park would be what it is. Uh, the Shumka uh, stage, the Chinese garden, the walking paths, and it's, it's quite a beautiful ex-garbage dumping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We'll move on to our second ex-garbage dump in a minute. Speaking of Taproot Edmonton, this episode of Let's Find Out is brought to you by Taproot Spotlight, a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people they serve. Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. You can use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page, or share it with the world in your newsletter, on your website, and on your social media channels. Paying attention pays dividends. Find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. That's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout out to a show that's near and dear to my heart. What's the cheese miss? What's the Chismis is a podcast with an inside look on Pilipinex identity in the diaspora. Chismis is the Tagalog word for gossip. 
Subscribe to hear episodes about disappointing your parents, breaking into your friends that you're not Italian, trying to figure out why you punched a car, and much, much more. What's the Cheese Miss is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find podcasts and on what's the cheesemiss.transistor.fm. That's T S I S M I S. Um, in case listeners want to learn more about Russell Cobb's series that we're talking about, it's called A World Class Dump. Um, it's a great three part um, series on the Edmonton City's Museum um, oh. Project uh, website. And we, we've had Russ on the podcast before talking about um, the uh, Mill Creek one. So for this episode, we're just going to refer to his work. But if, you, if listeners want to hear more about uh, the Cloverdale incinerator, Mill Creek, and stuff, um, we did an episode about that called uh, The Avalanche of Garbage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, garbage has always been a big deal. <laughs> Some of it bigger than others. But uh, so. Yeah, let's cross. Okay, so here we are in, in, um, in, in the city of Strathcona. And um, the, um, the, there's a, an, an area in the western part, Windsor Park, and the river valley below it. So we're just west of the U of A here. Just west of the U of A. And this would have been just as the university had moved over to that site. So there they were, uh, and they, uh, McGrath and, and, um, and a group of, of investors, some of whom were, um, were English investors, people from Europe, who had put money into what was the, at that time, a, a pretty big land investment boom. It was land speculation mostly. And 1912 was the 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 uh, I suppose the, the the biggest part of that. It, you know, there was a the Hudson's Bay Company uh, got rid of the rest of their uh, reserve from 108th to 118th, and um, and so there was a lot of land uh, for sale at that time. Now they got premium dollar. On the south side, McGrath and his company were subdividing what is now Windsor Park. And in 1912, uh, they put um, they, they put a proposal up to build in the Mayfair subdivision, which was that whole part down where the where the golf course is and and uh, uh, and now the park. Horlack Park is Horlack Park. what we know it as today. Yeah, today right. we know it as Horlack Park. But it was the, it was referred to as the Mayfair subdivision at that time, and the uh, and they were going to just um, they were going to build a subdivision with five hundred lots in what they were going to call the Windsor Terrace, and so they they had this proposal, and there was a back and forth fight with the city of Strathcona about how much they were going to pay for taxes, which delayed the progress of this uh, subdivision to the point where it was too late. Uh, by 1913, the economy had collapsed and there was absolutely no demand for, for housing at all. And um, by 1922, the uh, city of Edmonton, oh, just to back up a bit, uh, the city of Edmonton had an incredible backlog of unpaid uh, tax bills uh, it, that um, between 1918 and 1922, they finally, finally took... 70,000 lots in tax arrears. Wow. And that was so the city of Edmonton became the landowner of almost 40% of the properties available in the city of Edmonton by 1922. So that's what the what the collapse in 13 did plus the war until 18 and then 
we all know there was a pandemic for at least, you know, two weeks, it kept going on. And, um, and we didn't see a resurgence in development at all until the end of the 20s. Mm-hmm. So this was a time where, um, uh, where the, uh, uh, there was nothing going on there. And uh, uh, in, 19th, in 1920, the, there was a group of people who um, who proposed a golf course on on the May uh, on the Mayfair um, the subdivision on the on the north side of it and uh, and they were given until 1930 to come up with the money and and basically the design of it which they did and so in 1932 there it was the Mayfair um, uh, the Mayfair Golf Club Golf and Country Club but the part to the north of that was 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 vacant and. Um, and the city began to use it to throw garbage. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a dump. Um, in 1940, I think it was 42, that they discovered that there was a huge gravel deposit there. And what we know now is the pond or the lake in the middle of Horlat Park was the dig for the gravel pit. Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> and it had that. Uh, <laughs> so there was. Uh, uh, so by the end of the, um, the, in 1950, they decided that that was that they should really do something with it. Uh, uh, Windsor Park was starting to become a development. You know, you, you know that. I mean, if you drive around in, in Windsor Park, you'll see that there are some 19, 10, 12 houses, but the majority of it is a 50s build, and so. People on the top of the hill took exception to the garbage dump and to the gravel pit and all that other stuff that was happening down there and said, um, we really don't like this. And, and of course, there were other subdivisions that were going on around and, and it was just, it was an eyesore and, and, and a noisy pit. So the, um, the city decided at that point that they were going to develop a park there. And they basically leveled it out, cleared it up, well, except for the pit with the, where they put the pond. <laughs> and, and over a number of years, uh, it grew into uh, the park that we know today, you know, all the different things that were added to it. Uh, and of course, now the infrastructure has to be redone. It was originally named Mayfair Park, of course, because it was the Mayfair subdivision. And, and, uh, and at that time, everything was named after some part of Britain. And the... Um, so, but the the person who had a lot to do with park development in um, in that <clears throat> in the River Valley, uh, well, actually, park development period was William Horlack. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know we 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 hear about him as you know he was uh, he was impeached a couple of times. And I think uh, most listeners will not have heard the impeachment thing. <laughs> this is fascinating. Okay, well, and and you know what, he was absolved. But that stigma never went away, and um, and he was uh, uh, not only that he lived in Windsor Park at that time. So <laughs> he, he was mayor three times? times, and he died in office. Yeah, and he was Im- impeached over something to do with like um, being accused of land speculation. Was right, it? he was. That was what it was. It was the uh, uh, the at that time, uh, and he wasn't the first. Who was, you know, we did have a mayor in 1914 who was also run out of office as a as a result of knowing too much and, spend, and investing in it. And there was uh, so uh, there was there was a 
you either loved him or you hated him, but there were enough people who loved him that they kept re-electing him. Even and, after he got kicked out of Yes, office. twice. And, uh, and there was, uh, no, seriously. Uh, but he did, he was a parks guy. And, um, and so he was the one who responded to the Emily Murphy request for that park. Uh, for the Mayfair Park, and, and he died before they named it after him. So it wasn't, you know, it, it had nothing to do with him saying, hey, this should be my park. <laughs> uh, there was certainly uh, an ethnic support. Uh, you know, people were pretty tired of the whole Anglo thing. And, um, and so uh, there was, he, he, had a, he had a large Ukrainian following. Mm. And people thought that he had been unfairly judged and it turned out at least in one case he certainly was hmm. so and but you know that stigma never goes away it's it, once once it's in the paper as a headline you're toast obviously didn't affect his political career because you know he died in office and um, it, it uh, uh, but anyway the the, the Horlack and Park connection is a strong one in '77, it was it was uh, it was renamed uh, William Horlack Park because really he had a lot to do with me with ensuring that the River Valley, or at least that part of the River Valley, stayed as parkland. Hmm. And um, uh, he also, well, I mean, there was you know the Grote Bridge, all of that came over at that time, so it was easy to '55. Uh, so it was it was easy access you didn't have to go up to the top of the hill and slide down to get into the park you, <laughs> you could drive up the hill and come over from the north side as well so you mentioned people above the mayfair area who were living in windsor park they looked down at the dump and the gravel pit. They didn't love it very much. <laughs> so that ended up being closed down partly because of pressure from nearby residents. So there's like kind of a, uh, again, a concern about like a nuisance that ends up turning a kind of industrial messy area into a space that eventually becomes parkland. Well, and it was becoming a central part of the city at that time. This is, this is post-Second World War. This is, you know, the, after the war, this was, mm. this was the 50s and the 60s and and um, and we had huge expansion right they were, they were uh, uh, the veterans were coming home some of them were given land you know there was certainly the south side was growing and um, and by the you know by the 60s we're looking at 51st avenue and south and west and so there were all these new developments that were going on and a dump well, that was that was just not a thing when it first started it was at the end of the world but that that wasn't it anymore so we had to find a place outside of, of the city oh and, and, and we did how, how much would you characterize that as like a, a push against having that kind of mess in the what was now the city core versus a positive desire for protected space or parks? I would guess that it started with the, I don't want this in, in I, I don't want the smell, I don't want the potential disease, I don't want any of the, I don't want the brown bears, you know, mm. the black, because the, that's that's the other thing you had to contend with was the wildlife, the, the river valley is a wildlife corridor. Mm. So now, you know, there's, um, there's a competing interest here, and and um, and so there was a safety issue, certainly health and physical safety. Uh, there was the the noise from the the 
uh, gravel doesn't dig up easily, right? Yeah. I mean, or at least without any noise. Mm. And so there you are. You're living around this, and and it's it becomes unbearable, you know, for a number of reasons. It stinks. It's noisy. It's you know, their trucks going down. They're dumping garbage. It's it's just and and the whole health thing. So I think people push back on that. So we have a third park to visit on our okay, journey. Well, let's revisit the Humberstones. Okay. <laughs> okay. So 1899, their their uh, downtown mine and their house got floated down the river, and um, so they packed up and moved um, to what would become Beverly. They were actually the the, the other than the river lot people and, and the farming community that they were the the first industry out there. So they uh, they bought the land. Uh, east of 34th, south of 118th to 110th, and what we know uh, most of Rundle Park now. And they had a, uh, they built a farm out there uh, because they had to bring people in to work on their mines. And at first, it was a it was a big drift mine. A drift mine is is a uh, is a, a horizontal mine that you basically dig into the you tunnel into the side of a, a hill or a bank. And um, and then eventually it uh, it did it did become a, a, a bigger unit. It was it became a huge enterprise, and um, the uh, so they built this farm and a farmhouse, and they brought workers in. And from there, uh, the settlement started around it, and it became first the a settlement, then the town, and then the the town of the village, and then the town of Beverly in 1914. And there were three other major mines that were in that area as well. Now, uh, I know that the that there's a planning document that identifies several of the smaller mines, but and then there are several, of course, that, um, that were never, you know, people just dug, they didn't tell anybody about it, they took their, their coal and off they went. But these were major enterprises, certainly the Humberstones. So, there it was, um, all of the, the mining tunnels. You have a shaft, you go down, and then you build tunnels out. And, um, and you, take the, you take the coal up, and it goes up in an elevator, and it goes off to something. If it's a drift mine that comes right off the bank, then, uh, then it goes into some type of, of um, floating device, and it, they take it up or down river, mostly up at that time. So Beverly became this mining community. They had, they had mines. And, um, now, Edmonton sits on some of the best farmland in on the continent, and so a lot of this was consumed during the during the mining and certainly during the development of the town of Beverly. In the um, in the late thirties, uh, now William Humberstone was 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 forty four when he arrived in Edmonton in the first place, so he didn't you know it was nineteen twenty something when he died and. Um, and his wife, who was considerably younger than he was, uh, carried on. She was actually the brains of the business to begin oh. with, yeah. Uh, yeah. And she was, uh, so in the late 30s, uh, there was, uh, the basically coal mining was, was pretty much shut down. The, um, the princes who, uh, who had immigrated from Holland, from the Netherlands, were um, were in Edmonton looking for property, and so they bought the farm from the from the Humberstone group, 
and um, and they farmed that for quite a while. They also got mineral rights, so they were able to uh, to develop some of the coal. Now, by the fifties, uh, after uh, Jacob Prince had had died, his um, his family was still using that as as um, as a market garden, but the. Um, but what happened was they were where the mine operations were. They they were uh, they were using um, they were trying to mine the surface mining, and that didn't go well because by that time the city had gone over to um, uh, to uh, gas by and and, um, and electricity by 1927. So the so the demand for for heating was um, had just just disappeared for coal heating had disappeared. Right. And um, and so you know all the mines were shutting down. The um, uh, so they started using the strip mine area as as a, as a garbage dump for for the for the town of Beverly. The city of Edmonton purchased that from the town of Beverly or from the the princess in 1956 to use as their dump. Oh, and it was a huge dump. It it, it was I remember the dump. And it was, uh, there was just mounds of this, and they had corridors in it. It was like a maze, right? And uh, no, seriously, it was, it was big. Now, I know that Russell Cobb talks about a man named Woodward, who, who at, um, in the 50s had, um, was in the 60s, was using, was going in and scavenging. He, he, was, he, had, a, he had a small business where he would take trash dolls included I guess and um, and he would resell he would repair and resell so the city engineers took serious exception to this and and said we want our share this is a business and it's on our land and, and basically our property <laughs> so so we need to have uh, we need to have a percentage of your sales and and of course he said well you know, I, that's ridiculous. It's not a big money maker. I, you know, and, and, and of course, the city at that time didn't see this as a benefit. They, they didn't see that having somebody come in and, um, and take things out and resell them and re- recycle them. Recycling wasn't, wasn't a, a purpose at that time. It, yeah. was, it was disposal. Right? And, um, and if you could make money off of what they had there, well, they considered it as, uh, as, as an enterprise and, and you owed the city a percentage. So he shut down. Huh. I mean, obviously he couldn't continue with that kind of, of, um, uh, of attack. So the um, Beverly became part of Edmonton in late 1961. And at that point, uh, by the early 70s, the Rundle Heights was being developed to the south of that, and they were coming. So Beverly Heights was the original development there, and it ended at, at 34th Street. And it was it was already, uh, you know, it, it was 1910, 12 in that, in that 14, in, in that era. So Rundle Heights was, um, uh, was being developed around it, and so the princes started to sell off their property, and and uh, and the city saw that it would be a bigger benefit to um, uh, to turn that into a park than it would to have it. Um, well, they couldn't build anything on it. There was garbage, right? So they the, so Rundle Heights basically circled it or half circled it. You know, oh. there's a from. From 118th Avenue to uh, 110th Avenue, and then around, and then there's the park. 
and the park is still full of garbage. Huh. And there was no, it is, and and there is so they've they've done a couple of things to mitigate it. Um, there was, I think, uh, Russell Cobb mentioned that there were things like tires that were popping up through the grass, <laughs> and, and because it's you know, I mean, there are several kinds of garbage. There's there there garbage that's compostable, and there's garbage that isn't. The tires will take longer than we're going to be around to yes. compost. But then there's food garbage that's disappearing and the tires are going up and down. <laughs> and um, and then there's, so if you've approached Rundle Park from 118th Avenue, you go down this wavy road. Oh yeah. Right, right. Okay, the wavy road wasn't intended to be a wavy road. This is this is not a recreational space. <laughs> this is, <laughs> the, the, obviously they could have thought out how they dispersed the garbage underneath it but again it's the tire situation you know some of it's not rotting and there's a whole bunch that is so any of the you know any of the the, the peaks are, are solid the the valleys are not and um, and that's happening all over the park so I live in Grosvenor so I'm the right beside Jasper place and I don't get over to Rundle Park very often but two summers ago um, the pa- one of the pandemic summers, I went over there uh, with my daughter, and we went to see a a um, like a play in a parking lot because we could stay in our cars. Like it was a drive-in play, and uh, and I'm going around in these on this like roller coaster <laughs> uh, road, and thinking, goodness, they really took speed bumps to a quite an extreme here. <laughs> did not realize we were surfing on old tires. <laughs> well, it may not have been old tires, but certainly stuff that wasn't breaking down. Yeah. <laughs> In between stuff that was breaking yeah. down. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, those are the, the fact that, that, I mean, I suppose this would have happened on Grierson as well, except that, you know, that the landslide took care of long, well, actually subsequent landslides. But the... Um, but the city came and, and, and basically moved that all out because when they brought in the clay, they needed a stabilizer, so yeah. they weren't going to leave the garbage there. Yeah. And uh, and then and then in in um, uh, over in uh, in Horlack Park, they cleared it, which is something they didn't do in Beverly. Right. Because where would it go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just assumed that garbage would flatten out eventually. Of course, you know, some of it did. <laughs> wow. D- does this make you reconsider that doll? Uh, no, I think that uh, my Uncle Ron was a, was an early recycler like uh, mm. Woodward. And, and that well, there should have been more of that because there's all kind of treasure down there probably. So I'm going to try to summarize what I've heard from you um just to see if i can like generalize the the patterns of how have these dumps (laughs) become parks um so just from this three maybe some of the lines that i would draw are like so we have sites that are kind of seen as um disposable sites that are on the periphery of settler um settlement areas um then the sites become considered unsightly eventually or unhealthy or eyesores um People realize that the river valley and ravine spaces are prone to flooding, um, and and then also um, landfills are eventually seen as not a great place to build big stuff on top of without major amendment or stabilization of that land. And so, 
I, I, yeah, all of those things make it seem like not a coincidence that the three places we talked about are all around the River Valley area. Well, there was also, um, and just getting to uh, Frederick Todd, who um, who was uh, a student of Frederick Olmsted, Olmsted who was uh, um, who was the the designer of um, Central Park in New York. Mm. He came out here and in 1907 uh, produced a report for a city council that said your the river valley should stay as natural as possible mm-hmm. and a lot of this kept coming up in city planning over the years they kept referring back to it so there was also that you know after the certainly after the 15 flood a lot of the um, uh, river valley has value uh, river valley is beautiful river valley is is park space and um, so purging those kinds of uses had um, well, talk to a number of values. Certainly, the most immediate was get it out of my sight. <laughs> um, but the but after that, it was the river valley. And and today we talk about the river valley as something that you know. What about it? Say, oh, but we have the river valley, right? And mm-hmm. and we do. We have you know we have the largest contiguous park space on the continent. Karen, do you want to summarize what you think we've learned, and or at least like what I don't know what you've taken away from all this? Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, uh, I've learned that. Um, Sorry, this is not meant to be a test. Just <laughs> what are you taking away from what we've learned? How does this change? How you uh, I'm taking away that parks are a kind of a kind of healing of of past. Um, perhaps necessary indiscretions like we have to put our stuff our garbage somewhere but mm-hmm. but the, the parks for various reasons um, have ended up being like a sort of a, a bandage on on damage <laughs> that mm-hmm. our settlement has done to, to our, our surroundings and that there's um, Lots of unusual ways that we've ended up with these nice parks, um, and it's hopeful. It gives me hope that we can we can make a mess, but then we can kind of make it better in a way, uh, and that we have to keep thinking that way. Hmm. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks thank for you. inspiring the getting to learn about all this. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. Thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. If you want to support the show's production, we're on Patreon. Special shout out to Ghost Magpie level supporter Raquel Ferreau. And to all of the patrons who pay to make the show possible. You can also catch us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks to Karen Unland and Shirley Lowe, and to Russell Cobb. We'll link to his great series on dumps from our website. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for our show is by the resoundingly lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming.